All right, we're going to read God's word, Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, which formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions of, for the priests. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked them leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, by preparing him a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And in addition to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, who were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. In those days, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and then sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath, and I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. 
For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was, nations, there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God, by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So today is the final sermon in the book of Nehemiah. And the sermon series I entitled God's Work, God's Way. And last time when we were in the book of Nehemiah, we were in Nehemiah chapter 12. And if you guys remember, Nehemiah chapter 12 dealt with the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem. And literally, they had a praise and worship service on the walls. People were dancing and praising, and there's music and singing. A wonderful time. The beginning of Nehemiah chapter 13, though, is connected to chapter 12. The first three verses are at that same ceremony for the walls. And I just want to show you this up front so you understand. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Verse 43 says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. Verse 44 says, On that day... The men appointed over the chambers of the stores, the contributions. Then 13 verse 1 says, on that day. It's connected. And the first three verses say, on that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And there was found written in it, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter into the assembly of God. Because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned their curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Verses 1 through 3 and 13 is actually connected to chapter 12. I want you to see that up front because when we get to verse 4, it's years later. That one little section is actually years later. In fact, it's probably going to be as much as 10 years later. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 4 Nehemiah had left Jerusalem after 12 years being governor, and he goes to serve the king again in Susa. And then he returns some 8 to 13 years or so later, and when he returns, he's shocked. That's what's happened in the city with the people. Now, we know this because his 12-year term of governor was spoken of in chapter 5, verse 14. 
It says, Moreover, from the day that I appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes for 12 years, neither I or my kinsmen have eaten from the governor's food allowance. Nehemiah actually had two terms as governor. He had a first term for 12 years, leaves to serve the king, and then he comes back. Now, we know that he promised the king that he would return because he said that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. Now, I don't know if that definite time was 12 years, but he ended up being somewhere around 12 years. Now, there are some commentators that debate that. They think that maybe Nehemiah left in the first year, but I don't think, as we get into this text, you'll see why I don't think that's true. I think he, he spent the whole 12 years and then left 12 years later. But he goes and he serves the king Artaxerxes, and while he's away, the people slid, the people drifted, and they began to compromise their faith, compromise what they had promised to God. And it began to make me think about we as Christians, God's people today, how easy it is for us to drift if we're not careful. How easy it is to start strong and committed, but then if we're not steadfast, trusting in the Lord, following His Word, staying in fellowship, how easy it is for us to look back and say, what the heck happened? And when Nehemiah showed up, the people had compromised in four areas. That's what we'll see today. And it is those same four areas that God's people today can also compromise So what can lead us as God's people to compromise our walk with the Lord, first thing? Beware of unhealthy associations. Beware of unhealthy associations. I could say unhealthy relationships. It kind of worked together. I just want to read the first two verses to kind of give us the context again. Verses 4 and 5 says, Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, the tithes, the grain, the wine and the oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. I mean, how quickly the people forgot. When Nehemiah was with them before he had left to go to be with the king, the people had promised in writing, God, we will honor your word. We take an oath. And what they did is is they read from the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 and 4 says this, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter into the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food or water on that day when you came out of, of Egypt and they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. God's people were called to have nothing to do with the Ammonite, the Moabite, foreigners, people who worshipped idols, and they were to never, never, never allow them into the temple. And when they had dedicated the walls, they made this promise and they read from the book of Deuteronomy. Now understand that the Moab and, and Ammon, they were the sons of Lot from his incestuous relationship with his two daughters. And they were enemies of God's people. 
And Balaam was a hireling prophet, and, and he was hired by the king of Moab to curse God's people. But whenever he said a curse, God turned that curse into a blessing. So, so Balaam was pretty sly. And he says, I know. I'll have the Moabites make friends with the Israelites and have them invite them to the religious feasts. And by the way, the religious feasts had idol worship and also immorality because he knows the human heart. If he can tempt them to sin and they give in, he can cause them to fall, and they did fall. Now, while Nehemiah was away, and prior to his return to Jerusalem, a priest by the name of Eliashib, he got rid of all the items in the temple chambers that were used for God's worship, and instead he put items from Tobiah the Ammonite into those chambers. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says, Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him who formerly put their grain offerings, frankincense, utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions of the priests. What is so sad with Eliashib is he had started out strong. In chapter 3, Eliashib is the first one mentioned who worked on the walls of Jerusalem. He led his family to rebuild the walls. He was honoring God in the beginning, but what the heck happened? He had an unhealthy association. He had unhealthy relationships, and those unhealthy relationships caused him to make decisions to where he compromised his faith. His grandson was married to Sanballat's daughter. Sanballat was a Samaritan, and Sanballat was good friends with Tobiah the Ammonite. And they together talked to Eliashib in getting rid of the things that were meant for worship and instead putting the things, probably even idols, into the very chambers of the temple, into the house of God. And all this happened while Nehemiah was away at the palace serving the king. And just because you start well, it does not mean that you'll finish well. And just because there's a heritage in your family of being Christians does not mean that the next generation will be Christians. You must be faithful. Be careful. This is a warning for us as God's people today. Be careful of unhealthy relationships, unhealthy associations, where instead of you influencing them for Christ's sake, they influence you away from Him. Understand that Eliashib, he was in the leadership in the temple. And when a, when a leader of God does not honor God and His Word, the people that are under Him will fade, they will drift. And we as God's people today need to be careful of those who might influence us away from our Holy One, from the one that we love, the one who we're committed to. Commentator Vance Abner says, today the world is so infiltrated, the world has so infiltrated the church that we are more beset by traitors within than by foes without. Satan is not fighting churches, he's joining them. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were sworn enemies of God. And they somehow influenced 
Eliashib so that he dishonored God. And he literally moved out the things of worship and he moved in the things of the devil, literally inside the house of God. Verse 6 and 7 says, But during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. And after some time, however, I asked to leave, I asked to leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem, and I learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. I mean, can you imagine the shock on Nehemiah when he got back to the city? Because he remembers when the people, they honored God, literally in writing, when they had that time of celebration and honoring the rebuilding of the walls. Nehemiah 9.38 says, Now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing, and, as, and on the sealed document, the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And chapter 10, verse 29 says, And they're joining with the kinsmen and their nobles, and we are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and His ordinances and His statutes. And then in chapter 12, they had this great party and celebration and worship and celebration of the walls. And by the, way, by the way, when they dedicated the walls, that meant they dedicated it unto God, all that was within the walls, and that meant the temple and all that was within the temple. And now within the temple, the things for worship are gone. And instead, evil has come in. I mean, what a heartbreak for Nehemiah. Do you understand, as God's people, that you are the temple of God now? That the Holy Spirit of God, He resides in you. And that we are called to honor God with our bodies. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And the call for God's people today is to glorify God with our body. That means with our lives. That means by our actions. That people are to look at our life and say, wow, they're different than me. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, it, it breaks my heart to see the, the junk that people who claim Christ allow in their lives. People who say they're Christians, but they have sex outside of marriage and they call it love. Drunkenness, drug use, pornography, lying, gambling, cheating, ungodly business practices. And yet they think somehow because they've said that prayer that somehow God will just give them a pass on this. But I want you to hear because Paul, he challenged the church in Corinth because this is what was happening in the church in Corinth. And he tells them in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 this, he says, Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Paul says, such were, past tense, some of you. Yeah, that was you, but that's past now. Now you're different. The very Spirit of God resides within you. You are the temple of God. Do not allow that junk in. Just like in Nehemiah's day, we see it in our day. And instead of honoring God and sowing to the Spirit, people instead sow to the flesh. Paul put it like this in Romans 8 through 10. He says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Feed the Spirit, starve the flesh, he's saying. He also says this in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not marked. For whatever a man sows, this he shall also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And if you remember, last week Brian talked about eternal life, the abundant life, that life that is in Christ, a life in the Spirit, a life that honors God. It is abundant And you have the ability now, because of the Spirit of God within you, to say no to sin and yes to God. But instead, so many that say they love Christ, they feed their flesh. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, I I don't understand. What are we supposed to do? Do what Paul said. He said, You have been washed. Live as who you are. Quit bringing the junk in. You have been sanctified. That means that you've been set apart for Christ. That is your calling. Live it. You have been justified. That means you have been declared righteous before an all-holy God because we have been credited Christ righteousness. Live as who you are, not who you were. Because as Christians, we have the Spirit of God within us. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, I mean, where do I start? By faith, do what Nehemiah did. Look at verses 8 and 9. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. And then I gave an order... And they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Nehemiah pulled out all the junk, and he put back the things that honor God. Do you see that? It's a very real picture for us today as God's people. Whatever it is that hinders your walk with Christ, pull it out. Put back the things that honor God. Because you are the very temple of God now. And we're called to honor Him with our lives. Yeah, but what does this look like? I mean, I mean, what am I supposed to do? i got one word for you, repent. Repent. 
There are some of you this morning, you need to repent. Repent means to stop. It means to stop the practices that are sinful, particularly those that feed the flesh and do the things that honor God. Now, Paul said this to the Corinthian church in his second letter to them. Listen to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 21, he says, I'm afraid that when I come to you again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity and immorality and sensuality which they had practiced. Repentance is key in the Christian life. 1 John 1, 9, we are to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And some of you have started committed and strong, but now you're hard-hearted and your heart has grown cold. What is it? Get rid of the things that hinder your walk because you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to honor God. And Nehemiah, what a beautiful picture of repentance. He literally cleans out the temple. And he puts back those things of worship. And we're to do the same thing. And I think that there might be some here this morning that are thinking, well, that won't happen to me. I mean, I'll never drift. Careful. I was talking to a pastor friend this past week, and he was sharing with me about a good friend of his that he went to seminary with. And this man was a, was a gifted preacher, was actually a worship leader, had led many to Christ, and, and had helped many walk with Christ. And he said that this young man was, was serving in a church, and, and, but he was struggling because he had a young family, and, and you know, ministry, it's not a high-paying deal. And so he was struggling financially, and there was a friend of the family that, that offered him a really good job in a financial institution, and, and he decided to take it. Now, that in itself is not wrong, guys. Our work can be worship. The issue is, is, is Jesus first in whatever you do, Right? Well, he got into that job, and, and he did a pretty good job of balancing his heart, of, of doing the secular job and, and still honoring God, serving in the church and serving his Lord. But, but over time, his boss and his peers began to speak into his life. And over time, he, he, he started to work longer hours because there was the pressure to do that. And, and then all of a sudden, he started to, to make some big money. And by the way, that's a blessing. Praise God that we can be a good steward if he gives us more. But the issue is, he started to really like it, and he started to, to, to see that his identity was in what he did and no longer in the Lord, and he started to drift away from serving the Lord. He stopped honoring God by leading his family in the Lord, and he stopped attending church, and then he and his family began to drift, and, and instead of talking to, to leaders in the church and getting them ca their counsel, he started getting counsel from his boss and his peers, and and sadly, now, years later, he no longer and in any way is impacting the kingdom of God. He drifted. He listened to unhealthy associations. He listened to those who did not know Christ instead of those that do. First thing, beware of unhealthy associations. Second thing, beware of unfulfilled commitments. Beware of unfulfilled commitments. God is a God of covenant. And when you make a covenant with God, when you make a commitment, He expects you to keep your word. 
I'm going to share the first two verses again, verse 10 and 11. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who had performed the services had gone away, each to his own field. And so I reprimanded the officials and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and I restored them to their posts. So when Nehemiah came back, he, he found that the Levites were no longer doing the services within the temple. Now, the people of Israel had stated in writing that they would be faithful in that area. Chapter 10, verse 39 says, For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the chambers, and there are the utensils of the sanctuary and the priests who are ministering to the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, they will not neglect the house of our God. They had made a commitment in writing that they would be faithful to give. And when they gave, that meant that the Levites could do what they could do. But if they didn't give, that meant the Levites had to go to their own farms and provide for themselves. And that's exactly what happened. Now, there were six commitments that the people made in writing. And I want to share those with you. Four of them are in this section. The last two are in the last portions of Nehemiah in 13. First was the temple tax. The people had said they would give an annual temple tax. That was from Exodus chapter 30. Also, provisions for the temple. These were things like food, wood for the altar and the first fruits of their field. They promised that they would be faithful every year to do that. The tithe. The people promised that they would tithe and they would give it to the Levites who in ten would tithe and they would give it to the priests. As long as that happened, the temple services could take place. Dedication of the firstborn. That meant their firstborn of any of their livestock as well as their firstborn sons. Now, the livestock, they would take it and they would sacrifice this for the firstborn son. They had to give an offering, if you will. And this was in remembrance to the Passover where God passed over and spared the, their firstborn sons, basically stating that God was in charge of all things. Now, that was what we'll see here he, he's dealing with. Now, in, in the last part of this chapter, he deals with the last two, and that's the Sabbath. The people promised that they would abstain from working on the Sabbath and also the family, they, they promised that they would not intermarry with any pagan people. So Nehemiah, he had left anywhere from eight to ten years. He comes back and he realizes the people have been unfaithful. They have not been giving what they promised. And some of you might think, well, maybe the people just forgot. I mean, he was gone for a long time. And, you know, they just kind of drifted because they forgot. didn't happen that way. I don't know if you know this, but at this time when Nehemiah left, the last Old Testament prophet, his name is Malachi, he shows up in Israel. Because as the people started to sin, God sends them a prophet. And he's trying to turn them back, even before Nehemiah came back. And Malachi, he scolded the people for their shoddy worship in Malachi 1.6. God speaking says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despised my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Malachi also warned the corrupt priesthood, those like Eliashib, Malachi 2, 7 and 8, he said, The lips of the priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by, by the instruction, and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And lastly, Malachi rebuked him for not giving the tithes into the storehouse. Malachi 3, 8 through 10, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are accursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Nehemiah had been gone. God sends Malachi. Malachi leaves. Nehemiah comes back, and the people are still in sin. So what does Nehemiah do? He calls him to task. Verses 11 and 12, he says, So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together, restored them to their posts. All of Judah then brought the tithe and the grain into the oil, into the storehouses. Nehemiah is a strong leader, man. He doesn't play around. And so he rebukes them. He calls them to stop sinning and to man up and give the tithe that they had promised they would give years earlier. And then what happens here is Nehemiah ends with a prayer. I want you to see this in verse 14. He says, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out the loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah is such a prayerful man. And he understands that prayer is what matters. And he's not so much asking God for, to bless him as much as he's saying, God, I only want your rewards. I don't want any rewards from man. Can I tell you something? It is right if you have a friend that has drifted to call them on it. It is good if you have a loved one that claims Christ, but yet they're not honoring Christ, to be honest with them. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Nehemiah was trustworthy. Trustworthy. Beware of unhealthy associations. Beware of unfulfilled commitments. Third, beware of unkept promises. Now, whether you want to call it a promise or a commitment, keeping your promises is a matter of character. Verses 15 and 16 says, In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, so I admonished them on the day and they sold food. Also men of Tyre were living where where there were who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath and even in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, again, he realizes that the people have reneged on their promises. You see, they had promised that they would keep the Sabbath. They had promised that they would make that day holy. But yet, they weren't. So, this caused a reaction again from Nehemiah. Verse 17 says, Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath? Did not your fathers do the same thing so that God brought on us and on this city all this trouble, yet you are adding to the wrath of Israel and profaning the Sabbath? Nehemiah is like, Oh boy, why they? I mean, don't you remember? Do you understand why Babylon attacked us was because we neglected the Sabbath and you're doing the very same thing. You were bringing the very wrath of God on us. Honor your promises. If you made a promise to God, keep it, he says. Because it matters to God. 
Our lives matter to God. Now, why is keeping the Sabbath so important? Four things. The Sabbath set apart the Jews from the Gentile nations around them. It made them distinct. The Sabbath acknowledged God as creator. He is the one that established the Sabbath. And he called his people to honor him that way. The Sabbath acknowledges God also as provider. You have to trust that God will provide enough. If you don't, do that one day of work. And the Sabbath prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. It's a way to honor God. And so to make sure that the leaders honored the Lord, he took action. Verse 19, it came about as just as it grew dark and at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and that they should open, not open, until, open them until after the Sabbath. And then I stationed some of my own servants at the gates and that no lower load would enter on the Sabbath. So Nehemiah not only dealt with his people, but he also shut the gates to deal with non-believers as well. And he's like, look, I'm not messing around. Stop it. Start following the Sabbath. And by the way, those gates are shut. And by the way, he, he gets rid of the guards on the gates because I think they were taking a bribe. And he puts his own men in there. And then he also takes to task the Gentiles who were coming in lining up to come in on Sabbath. Verses 20 and 21, he says, Once or twice, the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night on the outside of Jerusalem. And then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in the front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. And from that time, they did not come on the Sabbath. He said, look, it's good. And can I say, tell you something? It is good to do right and to stand against evil. Matter of fact, if we do not do that, evil will prosper. Martin Luther King says, to ignore evil is to become an accomplice with it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Do not speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. We have a responsibility. And James 4, 7 says, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Nehemiah submitted to God and he resisted evil. We are to do the same as his people. We're called to be an example. You know, when Karen and I had left for England, we had some really good friends and they were really active in ministry and God was really using them. But our good friends had some, some young kids and, and, and their kids got really active in sports. And in that year and a half that we were away, every Sunday was taken up by their sports. And they also bought a boat. And so if there wasn't a game, they got in their boat and they went to the river. And can I tell you, in that year and a half, they stopped walking with the Lord. And as a matter of fact, their kids right now don't know the Lord, and they're still not walking with the Lord. Careful. Careful. Honor God. Beware of unhealthy associations. Beware of unfulfilled commitments. Beware of unkept promises. And the last one is beware of unholy marriages. Beware of unholy marriages. This is verses 23 and 24. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And, and as for their children, half spoken the language of Ashdod, and none of them were able to speak in the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. I want to read you also verse 25. It says, So I contended with them and cursed them 
and struck some of them, and I pulled out their hair, and I made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons yourselves. Now, I'm not recommending you do this, <laughs> but, but I want us to see the seriousness of what happened with Nehemiah here. And, and I want to help you understand this. It is rare, rare, rare that when a believer gets together with an unbeliever that that person is converted. Rare, very rare. And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, do not, do not missionary date. Don't do it. Because you've already lost your witness. You're dating them. And the Bible is clear. What has light to do with darkness? What does a believer have to do with an unbeliever? There will be tension. There will be conflict in the relationship. Guarantee it. Why is it such a big deal? Because generations will be impacted. If you get married and you have this union, there's no guarantee that person will come to Christ. When you have children, they will be influenced by that unbeliever. And very often, the progeny, the kids, will not honor them. Just like with Nehemiah. They couldn't even speak the Hebrew language. And God's heart is He wants His people for Him. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial. By the way, that's the devil. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever. And my fear for you as a pastor is you are playing with fire right now. And there are some of you here right now You're dating. You're hanging out. Don't do it. I'm warning you. Now, if you're already married to an unbeliever, I understand the difficulty there, and I don't want you to think there's any judgment here. Because the Bible says that, that if you've married somebody who does not know Christ and, and now you're in that relationship, you are to stay. You are the light of Christ. You're the salt in that relationship, and you're to remain. But if you are not married yet. Don't do it. That's what happened with the people there. They intermarried and they drifted. And Nehemiah, he ends with three things, purity, practicality, and prayer. Verses 30 and 31, it says, Thus I purified them from everything foreign, and I appointed duties for the priests and the Levites and each task, and I arranged for the supply of wood and the appointed times for the first fruits. And then he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah ended prayer. I don't know if you remember, but in, all the way back in chapter 1, he began with prayer. It's kind of the bookends. Nehemiah was a faithful man. He stood in the gap when nobody else would. And he did God's work, God's way. And I would pray that for me and for you in this church, and when people speak about this church, they say, oh yeah, that church, they do God's work, God's way. I pray that would be said of us, amen? Let's pray. Father, a serious word here in the book of Nehemiah. But Lord, we need to hear it as your people today. Help us, O oh God, to honor you. 
Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Oh, God, help us not to drift. Let us be fully committed. Let us honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I please have you stand? Now, some of you this morning, I understand, might have felt some conviction. And I want to tell you, that's good. Don't run. If you feel conviction about something, that means that the Holy Spirit is there and that He's drawing you back. And I want to to encourage you, come back to your Heavenly Father because He is a loving God. And He wants you to be right. And He wants to restore what the locust has eaten. And so I want to pray for you. And I want to encourage you in this. Some of you need to come forward for prayer. You need to do that. And you need to lay down this thing, this burden, whatever has been hindering your walk with Christ and lay it down. And so after the closing song, I want to encourage you to do that. And so I want to offer up a prayer right now for us. Let's pray. Father, we we recognize here in this book of Nehemiah that you've called people higher. And you're calling your people back to restore the relationship and make it right. Father, I thank you for the blood of Christ. I thank you that you have restored us, Lord, in Him. And Father, I pray for those who have drifted, those whose hearts have grown cold. Would you renew them by your Spirit? Would you encourage them to honor you? And would you help them, Lord, to draw close to you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.